Why, why do we do mission? Why do we even do it? Is it because it helps us feel good about ourselves? Because, I mean, the Red Cross is out there, if that's what the reason is. You could go to the Red Cross. It's going to be more efficient with your money, probably, because it's going to have a direct correlation for um, buying this product to help with this particular thing. I guess it all depends on how you measure efficiency, too. Why are we doing it? It's quite simple. It's, it's because there is a command that God has placed to every single living being in this room. Every single person in this room has been called. Everyone. Period. Without exception. If you don't like that, you might as well stop listening to me now. You can, you can ignore me. That's fine. But this is what God's word says. And God's word, when it speaks, is from him, not from us. So we are obliged to obey or ignore it. Both have consequences, positive or negative. But here is why, because this is what Matthew 28, 19, and 20 is. We're actually going to be in Acts 13, but I want you to hear this for a moment. Now, starting in verse 16, actually, he says this. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee. So who is not with them? Judas, okay? The 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Man, I'm thankful for those some. I'm thankful that God is not surprised that I doubt. I'm thankful that God is not surprised when he puts something before us and I say, God, I can't do that. I don't have what it takes. I'm too scared. God, are you are you going to do this? You're telling, I'm putting this before people. Are you really going to come through? I'm thankful that I'm not the only person in this world that's doubted. And that God saw it fit to put it in His Word. To help me remember that the disciples who were with Jesus Himself for three years, some of them doubted. And Jesus came to them and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Who gave him that authority? Who? God the Father. Okay, let's do a little exercise in just like understanding how this works. How many fathers are in here? How many are in here that had a father? Right. When your daddy came to you, and there was something going on that you weren't supposed to be doing. And your daddy said, listen to me. I am your father. Whatever came next was crucial. And there was an expectation, was there not? I'm telling you something, and you better listen. And you better get it right. My dad didn't have to say that very often. Well, he probably should have said it more often. Um, otherwise, I wouldn't have been in a cornfield if you were there last night. <laughs> but 
There were a couple times when I remember my dad looking at me. I remember one time sassing my mama real well. And my daddy looked at me. My dad does not, my dad's a, not a, he doesn't speak much. I know that's probably amazing to hear now that you've met me. That's all from my mama, okay? My dad doesn't talk a lot, but, but there were a couple times that I remember this once when I was sassing my mom, and my dad looked at me and said, I'm your father, and that's my wife, and you will not speak to her like that. I remember that. Jesus is saying, all authority has been given to me from the Father. You better listen to this. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Okay. We like to look at that and see the word go and think that that's the command. It's actually not the command. The imperative If you like grammar, I don't, but I know it. The imperative is make disciples. The gerund, not the gerundif, um, participle in in this verse is going. It's in the perfect tense, or sorry, it's in the imperfect tense, which means it's continuous. It doesn't have an end. As you are going, make disciples. Everything you're doing, make disciples. But where? Where did he say to do that? All nations. So I want to give you some hard statistics real quick. And I want us to look at something that is just a reality. Things that we need to celebrate and things we need to go deeper into. There are 7.8 billion people on the earth. There's actually more than that now because I took this back in January. I think we just turned over 8 billion. 7.8 billion souls on the earth. 1.6 billion claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. Okay, 1.6. A little over a third. But they're, they're, it's estimated that 780 million truly are followers of Christ that that get it. I don't know how you measure that. I don't know if you like walk through with a cow prod and be like, do you really believe? You know, I'll stop if you really, no. I don't know how that works, but that, these are the, stata- the, the data that Joshua Project comes up. And they're a massive research arm. Funded heavily by the Southern Baptist Convention. They work heavily in conjunction with the Southern Baptist Convention. Three billion people are unreached, or sorry, are reached. Three billion are reached. That means they have access to the gospel. As a matter of fact, there is only one country in South America, one, that has more unreached people than the United States. I want you to process that for a second. There's only one that has more unreached people than the United States. They have 5.2%, it's Suriname, has seven, 5.2% of their people are unreached. Every other country in South America, every one of them, have less than 0.7% of their population unreached. Three, uh, but there's 3.2 billion 
who have zero access to the gospel. I'm going to explain this more in a second. Don't, don't get frustrated yet. 3.2 billion who have no access and are unreached. Some of us might sit here and say, well, no, wait a minute, my neighbor isn't unre- is unreached. No, your, your neighbor has not been evangelized. Okay, these are specific words that are chosen in missiology for a very specific reason. Unreached means no church, no believers, no Bible. Period. And it's measured up to 2%. If you have 2% of the population of any given people group, they're now considered, or that are believers, they're now considered reached. Okay? At 2%. Because there's now enough of them to be able to reach into their own community and to further the gospel. 3.2 billion people have 0% access. Zero. Eight people every five seconds enter a Christless eternity in that 3.2 billion group. Every five seconds. Twenty-four people have already entered hell that have never heard who Jesus really is. So why do I say that? Do I say that we shouldn't be doing missions in South America? No, that's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is that we need to celebrate that. Do you realize that 50 years ago, little more than 50 years ago, Jim Elliott went to a place where there was no gospel access? with Pete Fleming and Roger Guderian. You, you, you had these guys, and they, say, and they went to this area that they focused on that God put before them, completely unreached, and now that tribe has reached hundreds of tribes over the last 60, 70 years. That's incredible. We should be celebrating that. There should be, there is joyous, Partying going on in heaven, and we're sitting here souring. This country, because it grabbed hold of the gospel and took it to a continent in South America, it spread out like crazy, and people bought it, they went into it, they believed it, and it's continuing to flourish because we obeyed the gospel. But the task's unfinished. There are still more people that don't have access than people that do have access. There are 3.2 billion people. But here's the thing that overwhelms me. 3% of all missionaries go to those 3 billion people. All the missionaries, globally, 3% go to those, actually it's 2% globally, 3% from North America go to the most unreached. And what's given towards missions giving, not your general fund, I'm not talking about your church in particular, but 
across the United States, what is designated for missions giving, less than one cent of every dollar goes to reach those 3.2 billion people. More money is spent yearly on buying costumes for pets at Halloween. This is a real stat. Then evangelizing the most unreached, unengaged people in the world. But we sit here and we're like, what kind of God would not let himself be known to these people and send them to hell? It's not his fault. We are not getting the job done. We have really focused on areas and we're doing fantastic in one area but there's a massive area that we still need to be working towards so what i'm saying is don't stop what you're doing go further add to it you guys have been faithfully involved in so many places i know there's been at least one trip to guatemala or two maybe i mean you guys and i've known the emics for years and they've helped with our church at lakeside when, when they were there, taking teams to Guatemala, going to South America, going to the DR, going all over. Those are fantastic, and we need to keep going because if you've gone, you know that you've met people there that do not know Jesus. And where the church doesn't necessarily have credibility because of so many cults. Keep it up, but go further. Go further. Why is this important? Because God commanded to go to all the nations. That word is tetethne. Every people group. Not just every country. Every people group. The largest diaspora or diaspora group of Somali Buntu people. The most difficult place to go in the world to share the gospel is Somalia. You will die upon entry. The largest group of refugees is in um, Columbus, Ohio. It's massive. And there's some work going on there. Turn to Acts 13 with us. We looked at Acts 12 or Acts 11 a little bit last night. We're not going to belabor real long here because we can see pretty quickly what our focus is going to be, okay? Acts chapter 13. We're going to look at verse 1 and... One to three. And I, there's no way I could preach this whole story to you. We would be here till next month, okay? Um, and so I'm going to give you an, an assignment. Like, what? I'm not in school anymore. Yeah, you are. Or, well, I'm, I'm declaring school in session. <laughs> not that I have any authority to do that. <laughs> Acts 13 and 14, I want you to read through that later as a family. This is a great opportunity to do something family familiarly with devotions. But look at Acts chapter 13 here for a second, verse 1 to 3. Now there were in the church of Antioch, do you remember last night, what was the church of Antioch? Or Antioch? It was an accidental church plant. There was persecution, people fled, and they started sharing the gospel with other people from other nations, and all of a sudden you had a church. And Barnabas is sent up there to make sure they're doing it right. And he gets there and he's super encouraged. And that church saw the need, the famine that was going on down in Jerusalem. And so they became the body 
because it's more than a message. And they became the body and loved the people, came with them, sent a giving back to the mother church to help the mother church. That is mission right there. The church that was planted actually became the support for the church that planted it in a time of need. That's incredible. Now there were at that church in Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, or as we would know him later, Paul. So you've got five leaders of this church mentioned. Okay, These are not just general men that are in the church. These are leaders of this church. Now watch what happens. While they were worshiping the Lord and what? Huh, that's interesting. I know we talk about fasting. You probably look at me and he's like, that dude is lying his tail off. He is not fasting. I do fast. And I fast from food. I know there's all kinds of other things you can fast from. But there's never been a day in my life when I was fasting from Facebook. And I got to the point where I was like, God, I just can't make it through the day without looking at Facebook. I really need to stop and pray. But I'm telling you, I like me some food. I like chicken wings. I like burgers. All the stuff that will kill you. And there's times when you're not eating and you're like, God, I can't, I'm starving. That it's a reminder, stop. This is to help you remember to pray. Come to me because you need me more than you need that chicken wing. Look at what he's saying. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, it was already happening. They were already serving. They were already involved. The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Who was speaking there? The Holy Spirit. To whom? Let's say this collectively. To whom? The church. One more time. Ready? To whom? It was not to Paul and Barnabas. He didn't say to Paul and Barnabas, hey, Paul and Barnabas, set aside Paul and Barnabas to me. He said, to the church, these people that were already expectant of the Lord to do something incredible, he said, listen, set apart these two leaders, and I want you to send them away. You guys are experiencing that right now, aren't you? And a young lady that has been a leader here, and you're sending her away. Does that leave holes? Does that leave hurt? It sure does. Church, can I... Can I express something to you the missionary is not the only one that feels loss you've got a couple here you need to rally around you need to love them well and there's going to be things they face that you can never understand maybe if you've had a son or a daughter in the military and they're going to a place that's not easy but going across the country to California, though that might not be easy either, um, it's not the same thing. You need to rally around the, their family. But he says here, set them apart, send them out. He was calling the church. Everybody in the church is called to missions. But it doesn't mean that everybody is called to go. So you can relax. I'm not saying everybody needs to go. If you all went, how would we go? Right? God had a great plan. We just got to do it. 
he set aside of the three, two. He said, hey, you go. You two go, but here's what's crazy. Look what happens again in verse 3. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. How much do you fast and pray for Mo? How much do you fast and pray for your missionaries? If you're on our prayer list, every year for Ramadan, I send you out a, a prayer letter that says, in video links that literally pray for you. All you have to do is the same thing you do when you watch Virginia Tech. It's just a little bit better because it wins. So you, you click the play button. It'll play. And it's a Muslim background believer praying for their nation. And, and we, we choose to fast at different times through there. Not the whole month. But we, we fast usually every Friday because that's their most important day. We'll fast every Friday and pray that God will show them where they can find true peace because that's what they're searching for. And you know what's crazy? When Jesus came and he was announced to the angels, or the angels announced him to the shepherds, what did he say? Peace what? Peace is here. Peace unto all men. It wasn't saying he is bringing peace. Jesus is the peace. He was here. He came. The the angel said, listen, in the Greek, it's very clear. Jesus is here. He is peace. They were sent. They fasted. They prayed. If you were to go through and read this, you would find that they went through all kinds of persecution. They went through all kinds of difficulty. They went through suffering. Paul and Barnabas would go to one place and the Jews kept pushing them away and pushing them away and pushing them away. And yet he kept going and kept going and kept going. He went to where it was common first, to the Jewish synagogue, because he knew that culture. But then they wouldn't accept him. So he finally started going to the Greeks and they started to accept Jesus. And then the Jews would persecute him. And he would flee. Sometimes he would be beaten. He would be stoned. He would be whipped. He'd flee. And then he came back. Why? Because the message was something so much greater than just a message. It was about eternal life. It was about letting people know that the law is no more. It's complete. It's fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And he gives freedom. It is so sad when I walk up during Ramadan and it's 105 degrees and and my friend Saeed and Gabriel are there fasting and they say to me, does your Bible teach you to fast? I'm like, Lord, help me know what to say in this. Help me to know the right things to say. And the Holy Spirit gave me the right thing at the right moment. And I said, you know what? God does tell the the kitab, the holy words of God, teach us to fast. But it's different. Like, oh, well, what is your fast? I was like, well, you know, it's not about food. God God has called us to a fast that's 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. It, It is a it's a everyday fast. They're like, well, that sounds very difficult. That sounds so hard. It's like, no, Gabriel, no, Said, it's impossible. 
Because he's asked us to fast from sin. And I can't stop. But my God, the living God of the universe, who knows me so well, told me in Romans chapter 5, verse 7 and 8, that some people might die for a good person, more would die for a righteous person, but my God demonstrated his love towards us and that while I was still sinning, he gave his life for me. I don't love anybody like that. I'm, I wish I could. I wish I had that kind of love that loved people so much that is, they were literally betraying the Son of Man. He was washing their feet. Do you know Judas? Judas washed Judas' feet the very night he would betray him, fully knowing Judas was going to betray him? Could you do that? I probably would have sucker punched him. Betray this. Because you know? I am so human. But by God's grace, we can go to the places that know no peace. When I go into the places that, that I can't speak about today, that have no access to the gospel, I'll be asked frequently, why are you coming here? What are you doing here? I often say, I'm here to help you. I'm, I'm here. God sent me to restore your peace. To teach you about peace and to restore your honor. Because guilt and innocence don't mean anything. Dying, Jesus dying on the cross to pay for my penalty of sin doesn't mean anything in the Islamic world. But when they know they're unclean, they do everything they can. Everything in life is about being clean before God. Down to the way you kill an animal you're going to eat. Down to whether you step into the bathroom with your right foot or your left foot. Down to how you shake somebody's hand. Down to all everything in your life is ruled around these rules. So that you can be clean before an almighty God. That you will never know. Well, we fully know that we were created to know Jesus, to know peace. How are you involved in getting the gospel to the nations? Well, we shared some this morning. And why? Because in, if you turn to Acts 14, verse 24 to 28... After Paul and Barnabas had gone to all these different places, after they had suffered, after they had gone through very difficult things, and stayed faithful, went back, visited all these churches. Here's what it says in verse 24 of chapter 14. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. These are all places that they went in Turkey and uh, Asia Minor. And when they had spoken in the word or spoken the word in uh, Persia and Perga, uh, they went down to Italia, and from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they had arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them, and how he had opened a door to faith to the Gentiles, and they remained no little time with the disciples. Why did they come back? Because the church 
was who was called. And they were going as an ambassador. An ambassador to the United States doesn't get to go to another country and do whatever he wants. He is a representative of the United States of America. We are a representative, an ambassador of Jesus Christ first and foremost, and to his bride, you. Catawba Valley Baptist Church. You guys are in Togo. You guys are going to the least reached. You guys are involved in areas that have seen incredible things happen, and now you're going further into places that still have so much to do. We are involved together. You're doing it, and we need to finish the task. We need to keep going, and we're just scratching the surface. So I'm asking you, are you willing to go further? Are you willing to do what hurts? Are you willing to wear your knees out and praying for people? I say that frequently, and one day we were leaving a church, and my wife asked me, do we wear our knees out for missionaries? I guess I have to listen to that message again. Because I, I don't always do a good job with that. And we need to be wearing our knees out because it will only be an act of God that changes the world. I'm going to close with this. There was a young man in England that felt very called by God to go to a very unreached area. He went to church after church after church and every church told him, if God wanted to save the heathen, he'd do it himself. This man was like, God has, he is trying to do it himself. I'm willing to go. And he pushed and pushed and pushed and finally got to a point to be able to leave. He translated the Bible into 14 different languages, but yet never saw one convert in his life. But was faithful, and as a result of his faithfulness, Thousands upon thousands upon thousands gave their life to Christ after the fact. Because he was faithful. But there was another guy. His name was William Carey. There was another guy that really wanted to go with William Carey, but he was impeded by the Holy Spirit. He kept trying to go, he kept trying to go, and the Holy Spirit would not let him go. And he went to his friend William Carey and he said, I want to go with you to do something that matters, to be involved in something greater than what I can do here. And William Carey looked at him and he said, listen, Pastor Andrew Fuller, listen to me. I will descend into the pit of hell. To take the gospel to places that have never heard of Jesus. If you, Pastor Andrew, will hold the rope. Friends, you have missionaries who will do their part if you'll do yours. They may even do their part even if you don't do yours. But they need you. We need you. Will you hold the rope firmly? You've been doing that, but I'm asking you to hold it even stronger. I'm asking you to pray, to care, to know us, 
to love us, not just us, but your other missionaries, and to pray fervently for them, to be involved with them so well that they know that, they're, that you realize they're alive. Will you pray for them? Will you grab the rope and say, God, I know I have a part because I am called. Some are called to say, or some are called to stay, some are called to go, but everybody is called to the Great Commission. Will you grab the rope?